Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Right, here we go, a Super 7 this week for my guests, Lee Mottishead and Asheen Murphy. We start with female jockeys and the chance that one will become the first woman to win at Royal Ascot since Gay Kellaway on Sproulston Boy all those years ago. We wheel this out far too often. Lee, will it happen this year? Probably not, because history tells us it probably won't. It's 32 years since Gay Kellaway won the Queen Alexandra on Sproulston Boy. Um, that's an awful long time between drinks. Um, we looked at it this week in the post, just looking at the general situation for women riders at Royal Ascot. Um, it's got slightly better in the last couple of years. Um, I think four years ago there were two rides women jockeys, three years ago there was one ride. Last year it was nine. Holly Doyle, I think, had a second in the, in the Sandringham. Yes, she did. Um, but it's still not good enough, and it's still a long way below the level of jump racing where we've seen Bryony Frost, Rachel Blackmore and others really rise towards the top of their sport getting rides in big races. That doesn't yet happen for women on the flat here. The interesting thing is, Asheen, in 2011 where Hayley Turner rode two Group 1 winners, if you'd said to me there'll be two professional female jump jockeys, England and Ireland, ride Grade 1 winners at the Cheltenham Festival before there is a female jockey rider winner at Royal Alaska, I'd have said you were completely bonkers. It's a funny old world, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's amazing. Um, you know, Holly Doyle gets great opportunities off Archie Watson and Josie Gordon's riding really well. Rafe uh, and Josie have teamed up successfully on many occasions recently. Yeah, that's a nice tie-up for her, isn't it? I've no doubt, uh, you know, either of those girls and Nicola Curry's, in my view, yeah. a top, top rider. Uh, she rides predominantly for Jamie Osborne. One of them is going to uh, break through at the very top level. They just need a top horse. And Haley is a very good rider. She's been there and done it. Although she lacks a Royal Ascot winner, she's a numerous group of winners. Yeah, and that's a quirk of circumstance, really. You'd have thought she would have, have ridden a Royal Ascot winner by now. Nicola Curry, you mentioned, rides the Ascot specialist raising sand uh, at Ascot this week. So you hope that that, that would have some sort of a chance Two men who will have chances at Ascot are Karen McAvoy and James McDonald. The Australian invasion is coming and they are set to, to do pretty well, I'd say, over the next few weeks. Asheen, what do they add, what do they bring to the weighing room in the summer if they have a period over here? Well, obviously, I know both very well mm. from my travels. Uh, James is top, top rider, as is Karen, who's a, obviously a few years older. Um, you know, it's interesting because Ascot is a different platform. Jockeys come from all over the world. You've got international horses. Uh, it takes a little bit more thinking about than your day-to-day -day stuff. But, you know, I, I've no doubt uh, they'll both pick up good rides and, um, and undoubtedly they're probably winners. And they've both shone on this stage before. I remember Karen McAvoy winning the Gold Cup on Papineau all those years yeah. ago. And uh, James McDonald, when he won on Expert Eye, <laughs> caught the eye of Judmont. And yeah. that looks like an association that's going to bear some fruit. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're fantastic jockeys, and they do just add to this whole sense that now Royal Ascot is a truly global racing occasion. Um, you know, I, I penned a piece for the column tomorrow looking at Ascot a quarter of a century ago, and how very much in those days um, it was a completely different thing. On the Tuesday of Royal Ascot last year, there was one, sorry, 20, 25 years ago, there was one Irish runner on the whole card. Um, there were runners from France, Britain, Ireland, and Germany, but now, We've got international equine representation, but also the jockeys. And the yeah. fact that we're going to have Velazquez there, Gaplioni, um, McAvoy, McDonald, Yutakataki, it truly is an international occasion. Does it give you a kick to have 
more international representation, or do you think actually can they just leave me alone and let me have all the good rides? No, no, I, I quite enjoy it. Um, many of the rides uh, Karen and James have picked up, I wouldn't have been in the running for anyway, um, and uh, and it's great to see them. It certainly is. James McDonald and Karen McAvoy, who will be adding some Australian luster to Royal Ascot this year. There's plenty of luster of its own down under, to be fair, particularly in terms of the money and the prize money wars between New South Wales and Victoria, which got an airing in the newspapers this week, partly because Amanda Elliott from the Victoria Racing Club uh, referred to Peter Volandis, who runs Racing New South Wales, as a silly little man. And that uh, became quite an entertaining story. And Amanda will be on this show again next week. So, Fantastic. Lee, you two keep a close eye on uh, Aussie racing politics. What's the deal yeah, here? Yeah, I do. Well, I mean, I, I, I adore Australian horse racing um, almost as much as I do, adore British horse racing. But it has got its own problems. Um, and one of its problems is that you have got civil war taking place between racing New South Wales um, and racing Victoria. Um, traditionally in Australia... The Australian Spring was dominated by Victoria, Melbourne, and the Autumn was dominated by Sydney, New yeah. South Wales. Peter Volandis, who runs racing in New South Wales and has enormous power, partly linked to maybe the fact that he's not dealing with as many race clubs as they have to do in Victoria. Right, yeah. He um, has taken the view that there is no reason, in his opinion, why the Spring should be Victoria's preserve. So they introduced the, the Everest three years ago with colossal prize money, um, 17, 14 million dollars, US um, Australian dollars. That now is on Caulfield Cup Day this year, which is one of the big three classic days in Australian racing. He's introduced a new race worth four million pounds on Victoria Derby Day, the Saturday before the Melbourne Cup. Um, it's akin to um, Horse Racing Ireland deciding that they are going to stage um, a Group 1 10 furlong race on Eclipse Day. There's no harmony now between the two states. What outcome of which, though, is that prize money in both states is getting colossally high, helped by things like point of, point of consumption tax and government support. But it does mean that whereas in the past you would know that a top Australian middle distance horse would be in the Cox Plate on Cox Plate Day, that horse might now very well go to New South Wales instead. Racing politics from down under. Massar, the Derby winner, is set to make his eagerly awaited reappearance now in the Hardwick Stakes. So he can be ridden by James Doyle, who would have had to uh, ride him in the Prince of Wales and miss the ride on Sea of Class. Otherwise, is it a good spot for Godolphin to stick him in the Hardwick rather than the tougher waters of the Prince of Wales, do you think, Ashin? He saw a mile and a half out very well in the Derby. Obviously, we haven't seen him since, unfortunately. He, um, he ran a very fast time at uh, Newmarket in the Craven. And... Um, and I think he's an exceptional horse. It's, it's great to see him back. Is it in any way indicative, do you think, that perhaps the horse isn't giving him the signs they wanted to, that they're going for arguably the easier race? Charlie's a very good trainer, and I'm sure he's going to place this horse uh, where he's going to win, or try and win, and, um, and he feels this is a good spot. Possibly the Prince of Wales on his comeback run against the likes of Sea Class, Crystal Ocean, was a tough task anyway. So this is possibly um, the right decision. It's a tough call for Sea of Class as well, talented though she is, to make her comeback run. Yeah, it is, Prince and it's an Wales. indication of how highly William Haggis thinks of it. Because of course, with a horse like that, you could have gone for, say, uh, the Pretty Polly at the Cover on Derby weekend, a race of Phillies and Mares. Um, chosen not to do that. There are lots of options for Phillies and Mayors, but William has stated that he believes she should be racing against the boys in open 
all age competition. Um, she had a fantastic three-year campaign, and she does a tremendous luster to that Prince of Wales stakes. Do you have a ride in this race at the moment? No. Uh, it's about the only race you don't have a ride in, as things stand. <laughs> yeah, no, it's up in the air whether Saloon will go for the Prince of Wales or the Hardwick. Um, Sylvester Kirk, who's done an incredible job managing the horse, will make a decision with the owner this morning. He's a great fun horse, isn't he? He's great to have around, uh, very small. R- came to everyone's attention when running a very fast time at Windsor about three years ago. At everyone's surprise. And then took everyone by surprise when nearly beating Cracksman in last year's Coronation Cup and so many other good races as well. Matt Hancock, well, he's dropped himself out of the Tory leadership race and probably spared his blushes at the same time. But in, in part of his pitch was the notion that betting companies should be paying a certain percentage in order to uh, tackle problem gambling. So there should be a fixed percentage of their profits going to problem gambling. What do you make of the Matt Hancock's idea? Yeah, well, Hancock had a bit more than half hour in the tour leadership race, but not, not, not much more. You've got to have it pretty quickly. And it was, it was a decent idea in the sense that it, will, it would have played to his audience. Um, there is no doubt that the bookmaking community as a group is now viewed in a much more hostile way than at any point I can remember mm. following horse racing and betting on horse racing. Um, and Matt, although he's been a, a huge supporter of horse racing, um, has been very um, open in wanting to tackle um, problem gambling issues. Um, and it wouldn't be at all surprised whichever of the members of this utterly wretched, depressing, <laughs> miserable race is a conservative <laughs> leadership battle, um, picks up that baton and, and runs with it. Um, but as a whole, there are very few positives to view from the whole depressing situation. So you, you really don't want to talk about Matt Hancock's proposal <clears throat> any longer, do you? Um, I think the, the, the less we can talk about that, the group of people who are vying to be our Prime Minister... Um, the better, but the problem is the whole the whole situation is utterly from left and right, and you know you got Chuck Ramuna going from one party to the next. And there's <laughs> there's nothing, you know. Thank God for Ascot because the real world at the minute is just so unspeakably awful. We did we did mention this earlier in the program. Racing is a great escape, isn't it? Yeah, poor Theresa May. She was handed the Brexit envelope, although it wasn't her idea, and. Um, and she's been uh, handed the blame as a result. So, look, I'm sure she's pleased to be um, relieved of her position. But what a time to be Laura Kunzberg. <laughs> indeed, indeed so. And then a Brexit cast uh, buddies as well. Charles Burns. Normally you can't get a word out of Charles Burns, but you could get a couple of words out of Charles Burns this week because he was um, venting about the BHA inquiring to train as, as to their running plans prior to a race, running and riding plans prior to a race based on betting intelligence. Yeah. And he feels that Irish trainers in England are being specifically picked on in that regard. Yeah, he, he spoke to the Racing Post this week, to my colleague David Jennings about it, and he um, made the point that I think so far, and the BHA is very transparent about this, it's, it's all documented who they speak to before a race, and I think so far two trainers have been spoken to, uh, Dennis Hogan on three occasions, and Charles Burns on three occasions. And from that, Charles Burns took the view that he thinks the BHA might well have an issue mm. with Irish trainers. I would suggest the BHA don't have a view, an issue with Irish trainers. 
they have an issue with people like Charles Burns. It's more, it's it's the sophistication of the stewarding system, essentially, isn't it, Sheen? This is something that in Australia or Hong Kong would be quite normal. Yeah, very, very normal in in those two um, jurisdictions. Uh, Obviously, the BHA's job is to police the sport. I'm not fully aware of uh, what's going on in each case. Um, Dennis Hogan would be a friend of mine. Um, I don't. I've never ridden for Charles Burns. He's a very good trainer. Um, I don't know what's happening at the moment and and how they go about these procedures. But um, I suppose we have a job to protect the sport. Yeah. And uh, and if if they feel an inquiry is appropriate, uh, they must carry one out. But it's it's important on what grounds they do so. Mm. Dennis made the point that. Um, this doesn't happen in Ireland. I think a lot of people reading those comments will say it really should. You know, there is nothing wrong with asking people questions. Punters yeah. want to see that. It's a very transparent process. I wouldn't have any complaints at yeah, all. Two, two wrongs don't make a right. World pool. Now, how much could Ascot's revenue be burnished by uh, the global pool that will be in, in situ this week? And will, for example, the Japanese play big because they can open the pool because Deirdre's running in the Prince of Wales. Yeah, I mean, this is in partnership what they're doing with the Hong Kong Jockey Club, where mm-hmm. of course, which, of course, has liquidity that we can only dream of and can't even imagine. Um, but this, this intermingling of global pools that will take place um, at Royal Ascot next week has to be a good thing. Um, they're talking about liquidity rising on occasions mm-hmm. perhaps from 20 million to 70 million. Um, it will bring in so much extra money. They can't have it for every race um, because for things like with the, I'll just say through, through Hong Kong, and they can't take, for example, Hunt Cup size fields. So there'll be some races where you can't have a, a wind pool, you can't have a place pool. But the idea of trying to generate interest in pool betting, which is one area where there clearly is scope for growth and untapped potential mm. because we don't have a pool betting culture in this country that they have in Japan and Hong Kong um, and Australia. So that's a great thing. And you mentioned Deirdre. And again, it's a a mark of the popularity of horse racing in Japan that the Prince of Wales' stakes, the feature race on day four, has been brought forward from 4.20, which is the the time for all the feature races at Ascot, to 3.40, because Ascot realised that if they could run the race before midnight... So many more people in Japan will watch and bet on that race, and therefore the benefits that will come from that are enormous. And it's been taken for granted that Royal Ascot's an international event, but really it's only been the last sort of 20 years where it's reached kind of glo- had any kind of global currency. Yeah, fortunately I'm only 23, so, um, so I don't really know how long uh, Ascot is of relevance to the international public, but it's fantastic to see this happening, and I hope, um, I hope more people uh, generate interest in, in the meeting. 23. 23. Hate you. Right. (laughs) Those were this week's talking points. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai.